I am Luis Alexandra Casanovas Blanco, and I'm trained as an architect. I do have an architectural practice. I also curate uh, exhibitions of architecture and write. So I would say uh, I have a kind of extended architectural practice uh, in which I try to combine design projects with research, uh, also uh, theoretical writing and exhibitions. Especulars. Luis Alexandra Casanovas. Part 1. I was first trained as uh, an architect in Barcelona, and uh, architectural education, in a way, gave me a lot of um, tools to kind of understand uh, many different media as, um, as what we would say a project. That meaning something which involves several people, uh, which requires research and understanding, which has a material output, and which are actually kind of like um, entangles different interests and desires. And that could be a building, but it could also be an exhibition. It could also be a research or it could uh, be a book. And I understand my practice as this sort of uh, uh, expanded realm where everything is treated as a project, a research project, which puts me in touch with different people, allows me to identify different resources as they could be archives, but it also could be the experience of uh, several people which has been working in something much before me. Um, and from there, I sort of articulate a material answer, which can take the form of a building, a design, or a book. Um, that to me is, is, is really important. So the, the, the process of, of, uh, of making a building in a way entangles you know, uh, economics, material resources, um, you know, uh, 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 material footprint, uh, but also many of the times uh, it also conjures the desires of people which, you know, is envisioning uh, their future living in a specific way or communities which uh, understand that uh, some spaces will cater to uh, several uh, needs they'll have. So this mixture of interest to me is very interesting because in a way deludes a little bit the authorship of the architect. The architect becomes this mediator which is trying to articulate all these desires in a way which uh, tends to a, a, a sort of, um, I would say common good, but not exactly uh, towards a solution which satisfies as much as possible to the parties involved. And to me, this sort of thinking is very, very powerful. And I think that whenever I work on exhibitions or whenever I work, uh, you know, as a curator or uh, whenever I teach, um, I see myself as, as such, as this person which is in the middle of various interests and which is trying to combine them all in order to uh, generate an outcome which in a way transforms a condition or allow us to understand something, never claiming that I'm the inventor of it, but actually somebody who was able to put together those different interests to articulate something else. Uh, 
But what I think it's super important also in my practice is to demystify the work of, of that person, right? That is a job as it could be any other job. It should be considered as that. It's not that you have a special gift where you know, like you're able to uh, respond to everyone's desires or needs or expectations. You need to train yourself uh, for that, right? As you need to train yourself for any other job. That's a political position, but it's also to, to, to vindicate that that person, which actually, you know, uh, creates those situations or makes things happen, um, to demystify it, uh, it's a political position because it's out, it also understands that the input of absolutely everyone involved in the process, uh, it's critical and uh, transforms the process. So I'm absolutely against any sort of like autonomy of the creator or understanding the architect as in the top of a sort of like hierarchical structure where he, uh, you know, or she sort of like manages everything which happens underneath and has the final say. Um, you know, experience demonstrators, which is not as such. So I think it's now time for media and theory, uh, architectural media and theory to also debunk all those cliches and beliefs. of risk has come to the fore and became very, very important in understanding how we manage societies, no? the idea of risk management. And there is something there to me that is very powerful and related to what we were talking before. Risk uh, should be, again, uh, uh, disentangled from this idea of the avant-garde maverick creator, which takes all the risks uh, you know, and assumes all the responsibilities and just you know, pushes forward not even looking behind. I think that I'm much more interested in, 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 in topics as risk management in terms of like uh, this mediation of interest, who loses and who uh, wins, no? How do we manage? So, you know, like there's an interest, a common interest, which is kind of favored uh, uh, rather than, you know, like the concentration of like um, um, power in a few. Um, and this idea of risk management, uh, which is very present in, in, in institutions, uh, cultural institutions, to me is absolutely powerful because it implies again that risk operates at many levels, not only at a cre creative level where, it, you know, like to understand what's risk in a creative level, it's always very difficult to kind of like identify. But we can definitely say what is an economic risk, right? And we can definitely say what is a political risk or and all those risks right which have to do with you know this extended structure of architectural and cultural production uh who takes the risk does the the visitor take the risk right those to me are super interesting so let's say we're making a house right and we can say like i'm gonna take several creative risks creating you know like articulating a space in a sense but the risk in a way you know, who ends up inheriting that risk is the person who has to live with those conditions, right? So risks in here need to be managed in order uh, that they articulate, you know, some sort of like communal sense uh, where, you know, like my decisions do not affect directly without the say to a much, you know, to a much extended network of people.
I think that that also when when I when I mean that the architect is in the the architect or or let's say I understand the, my practice in the middle of all those things, it doesn't mean that it's trying to find a solution. It means that in it inhabits the friction and the conflict. I keep coming back to the work of of uh, an art historian and theoretician that. I do love, and I keep coming back to it, despite I try to read other things and, you know, to get informed by other sources, to update myself with what's uh, being discussed right now. There's a text which always, 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 always kind of like guides me, which is the text, uh, the, the book uh, called Evictions by Rosalind Deutsch, uh, and uh, specifically the text Agoraphobia, where she talks about public sphere and public space. And and pretty much like on the lines of Chantal Mouffe, no, uh, she understands public space not as this happy place of communal, you know, enjoyment, but as this place of negotiation between different people, right? And it's really difficult to kind of um, work on the lines that she poses, but there's a there's always like a line, a phrase, something in the text that is extremely illuminating to me. And when I encountered that text um, for the first time, thanks to a, a really close friend of mine and, and, and Rosalind Deutsch's work at large, there was something shocking to me, which is this idea of like the irresolubility of things uh, and the adaptation to conditions which might be mutating and transforming, but would never settle down, right? And, and that, I thought that that was so powerful and that that in a way was able to um, somehow, uh, that had a transformative character and that had a political effect that to me what was much more interesting than utopian thinking or, you know, like, or possibilities thinking. So this idea of like friction is inevitable. Actually, public sphere is friction. Public sphere is difference. We cannot solve that. It's the place where it takes, it happens, it takes place. And we need to learn to work with that, right? And that to me was, was, was very, very powerful. Again, I think that uh, randomness is, um, is, you know, inevitable. So, of course, most or many of the decisions that we then try to make sense of might come from there. But despite they do, it's again important to me to do not single them out for a matter of transparency of what we might be in the creative process. So, I think that one of the things that annoys me. Uh, or has this you know, annoys me in historical kinds of architecture is this idea of like the finding no, uh, by absolutely uh, chance or randomness, right? And I'm much more interested in those architects which try to make the community understand the decisions they were taking and which were in a way invested in making transparent the process of thought right so it could be you know making transparent is not about like making understandable but also inviting the people to discuss things right once you understand something you're able to discuss it and and that's why despite randomness my or 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 absolutely any you know process is inflected by by randomness to me it's very important to kind of like not make randomness um 
you know, like, a, a, let's say, a, a critical device through which to explain a work of architecture, a project, a book, a text, a work of art, or any sort of cultural production, which doesn't mean that that I'm rejecting it. I absolutely, like, I absolutely think randomness does, in, you know, the, the case of John Cage, you know, randomness there is a political project, right? And it's a political project, which I feel is trying to do similar things to what I'm asking, like the rejection of, of randomness to do, right? Which is like um, a demystification of the author. Uh, but I feel that, you know, like the, in the last years, the randomness, the chance, this ability to understand things, you know, without uh, full comprehension and then just draw them or materialize them um, has kind of like, occluded part of the process to people and and resorted to ideas of uh you know artistry or architecture or or or, or cultural production that i'm not really interested in um so that 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 could be my my position about it i think that to me it's important to reject to reject it frontally no for the matter of it but because of the way it's been instrumentalized uh lately I also vindicate that a work, specific work, should take many forms uh, in order to be communicated to different people. And I think that the project so far, I was able to kind of like pursue that the best or, or, or much better than, than I actually did with other later projects was the Real Estate Boom House, where, you know, we suddenly had it at in Nones, which is this video platform uh, by this uh, luxury French luxury group right where they portray like the house of Ricardo Bufil, the house of uh, uh, Corbero so so we're talking about houses with many many square uh, square feet meet, uh, square meters right and suddenly the fact that the house uh, with a video by Joana Culumada, real estate boom house which is like a very modest house and the intervention is very modest and it's absolutely middle class Spanish family was able to infiltrate that, right? And I found, you know, so I'm absolutely about infiltrating those realms. And it appeared also uh, the house, you know, like also had its own, let's say, media path through the pictures that, uh, the incredible pictures that Jose Via, which is uh, an architectural photographer, took of the house, but also through uh, Canyamera's portraying of the house at the very beginning with when everything wasn't done. So all these documents are part of how the house was constructed, but also uh, uh, allowed the house or allowed the project to navigate in different circles and to be discussed in different ways. Uh, an Australian magazine called Assembled Papers used the house to illustrate an interview with uh, sociologist Saskia Sassen, where she talked about the materiality of economic phenomena, right? Which it might be more difficult to understand or comprehend, but that with time we'll realize how cities were shaped by specific financial phenomena. Uh, and the editors decided to use the house to illustrate or to give, you know, like some sort of illustration or visual reference to what she was saying. And to me, that was extremely exciting because it meant that the house was not, you know, like so suddenly the house was discussed in many, many, many different forums, was reaching very different audiences. And as such, it could unfold as a, 
you know, an object which had many meanings and which was trying to do many different things, right? To talk about what happened in Spain with the boom, uh, no, and which responsibility did architects have had, but also which responsibility did the users had and the administrations had. On the other hand, which aesthetics did we inherit? Which were the aesthetics that I grew? Uh, watching at my parents, but also at my grandmas, uh, uh, no, and and also you know, talking that yes, we were referring to Spain, but it's rather a global phenomena, right? And we are able to identify strategies or phenomena which happen elsewhere in the world. And I think that that's only possible if the project sort of mutates and takes many many forms, many documentations, which are trying to appeal to different people, right? So. I think that photos as the ones that Evia took of the house, which were kind of singling out the material and the experiential condition, you know, the spatial condition of the house, made a house which was very unusual for, for architectural media navigate suddenly, you know, through architectural media and magazines freely, you know. And, and Evia had a big part of, of, of that easiness and seamlessness, right? Because he made the documents which might appeal to these people, these people would get close interested and then they suddenly would discover like things which are absolutely, uh, which might seem absolutely out of tune for uh, standard architectural taste, right? And that uh, is something that I find that you can only do in alliance with these people which has this huge control of the media they work in. Either is Joanna Kuluma, who basically is an, an advertisement uh, video maker and works in publicity uh, filmmaker, uh, or you can do with Adria Cañameras, which you know, uh, through Apartamento, he has developed this way of like portraying people and portraying you know, houses which are absolutely disordered. Or you can do with Jose Evia, which you know, like uh, Jose went to photograph, I remember the day after he went to photograph, I think an auditorium somewhere and then he came to the house and he spent as much time as he would spend in the auditorium trying to find uh, the close-ups, the situations, you know, which then appear in his photos. So in that sense, um, you know, uh, reception requires alliance with people which works in different media. Uh, reception requires to expand the network of people that a work is discussed with. It doesn't make any sense to keep discussing architectural works or artworks just within the bubble of the art or the architectural uh, criticism world. Um, and it also requires inputs from all these other realms, right? Where we are, you know, something that to me was really, really, um, or again, like of those sort of set of like, things I keep coming back uh, are all the all the artists working with pedagogy uh, nowadays. And I was um, lucky enough to work with some of them, with, I would say like some of them, to me, most interesting ones uh, from uh, Gabo Kamnitzer to, to Adelita Fusnibey or, or even Jordi Ferreiro at Magda. And um, pedagogy, you know, and the way these people is working with pedagogy, right? Which pedagogy in a way is a surrogate to understand what's our relationship with, you know, a work of art or a book or etc. Um, has been super illuminating to me. Uh, has allowed me to understand uh, what's the role that, you know, a client or 
a user plays in an architectural project, but also the viewer in an exhibition or the reader in a text. Um, and, and that has to do um, mainly with what's the relationship you establish, right? As other writer, architect, client, uh, architect, user, you know, whatever. Um, the hierarchies you establish uh, and, and, and those people had been so actively working on erasing those hierarchies, you know, which that to me has been illuminating. Illuminating in terms of the creative process, who can be involved and when in the process. But also, uh, I try my explanations of particular things to include what the reception uh, has been of those particular things. For example, um, we were amazed to learn like that happened two days ago with, with Jordi that an artifact we did for La Capella, which was meant to mediate uh, different publics, etc. It was a sort of like a, a portable auditorium. So people in Valencia apparently is using it for selfies as far as that, you know, you can like navigate through Grindr and people is using it as a backdrop for their, you know, pictures. And, and I feel that that is absolutely fantastic, no? Because to me, it speaks that, yes, we were able to create a sexy enough uh, artifact. So people, you know, understands it as an interesting backdrop for their selfies, which also makes me think, you know, if like, you know, because like people also use this, you know, this sort of like weird invention as museum of experience and all those kind of things, which are just backdrops for Instagram, right? So what does it mean that an artifact which was thought for a cultural institution was suddenly used for that? I think that has implications, which I don't, I don't know them yet, but to me, it's interesting, right? It, it situates the work in, an, in another realm where, you know, like people has made of it something different, right? So we were understanding the, the artifact to be able to mediate encounters with different people but not sec but not to mediate sexual encounters and that is fine too you know it's no no i mean uh, to me it's uh, it's it's absolutely interesting right and 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 i think that that um that i'm 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 absolutely interested right in the way that people appropriates uh the works i think com commitment to me um means several things as i've explained before commitment means, you know, um, being conscious that, that sometimes in this demiurge or middleman position that you play, you're using others' resources, right? And you're playing with others' expe expectations. That is a responsibility which requires a commitment, right? Or a sort of loyalty. Loyalty in the sense of like being aware that, you know, like you are uh, not, uh, you know, working on your own but trying again, like, you know, like managing other people's, uh, let's say, desires, no? And I think that, that the cultural production, artistic production, uh, architectural production, intersection, you know, um, requires political commitment for many reasons. Um, we get all those surveys and studies continuously, which tell us that uh, I don't exactly remember. I think it's 3% of the people which works in the cultural sector, just the 3% come from a low income or middle low income background, right? 
which is worrying and very preoccupying, right? And I think that we need to keep talking about, uh, you know, uh, access and we need to keep, well, when I say to keep, maybe we should say we, we need to start talking about access. We need to start talking about privilege, not as a way to signify a person and to, let's say, uh, judge, but uh, no, as a process of understanding of how can we distribute access, how can whatever privilege entails be distributed, uh, you know, more widely so it arrives to more people and more people has, you know, the possibility of working in architecture, uh, establishing a practice without having to come from, you know, like a privileged background. And when we talk about political commitment, I also think that uh, you know, uh, where we are now is very important to interrogate oneself privilege and to understand how everyone came to uh, work and do whatever they actually do and to see how we can uh, sort of redistribute and guarantee access for wider sectors of the population, which right now, for example, don't have the uh, opportunity to actively work with a project of their own in a cultural, uh, in the cultural sector. So the cultural sector has, you know, absolutely like low income, um, low income individuals working, but in which positions? Positions of concierges, positions of, you know, so that needs to change, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and I think that it's very important uh, for any cultural practice nowadays to first interrogate uh, the privileges uh, uh, that uh, oneself has um, and how to manage, make them transparent and talk about the process of how those came to be. Especulars. Lluy dot cat